Welcome to It's Your Business Leader podcast. It's your business. Lead it. You need to deliver performance to your organization now. To do this, you need to ensure process efficiency, product quality, and employee engagement. What happens when you don't have this? Underperformance. If you're tired of getting excuses and not results, if you're tired of mediocre employees talking to me in game, but not backing it up with action, you're in the right place. My name is Ron Hurst, a leader with over 30 years of real-world operational experience backed by the best of engineering and developmental psychology, and my goal is simple. I want to help you achieve the performance your business is capable of. In this cast, building self-awareness. A couple of weeks ago, I had the unique privilege of meeting with three of my leadership coaching buddies up on Whidbey Island, just north of Seattle, Washington. And if you listen to that cast, you would have heard us talking about some of the, the gaps and the challenges that leaders face in the real world as seen through the eyes of leadership coaches. I thought it'd be really powerful to address one of the two core issues that were brought up in that cast. The first issue was actually about listening, but we've already done a couple of casts on leadership communication and, on, and specifically an interview with Shelly Hendricks on how to become a more effective listener. We're going to come back to that topic later, but that's not what this cast is about. We want to deal with the other major issue, the gap in self-awareness. Self-awareness is kind of a funny thing. When I talk about it in training classes, I often start with a simplistic kind of example. Hi, my name is Ron Hurst. I'm aware. That's not what we're talking about. Self-awareness is a deep and complex aspect of the human condition. And I want to help you build your skills in some of these areas. And there are five main points that I'm going to dig into in order to help you understand how to grow your self-awareness. And I need you to understand that growing self-awareness is probably the most significant value-added activity you can do as a leader. The more self-aware you are, the more effective you become. And if you ever wanted to quote Ron Hurst, my favorite favorite thing I've ever said that I think is quotable is, the self-aware leader has the advantage in every engagement. What do I mean by that? If you're self-aware, you can adjust. If you're self-aware, you can adapt. You can be resilient and you can get to solutions that most people are going to be stuck in that, that cliche old saying of, well, we'll just have to agree to disagree. If you find yourself saying that, man, you failed. I'm sorry. It's just failure. So we want to build self-awareness and build our toolkit so that we never have to end up in that space of agreeing to disagree. Okay. So how do you build self-awareness? This is a really important activity. There are a number of techniques that I recommend, and I'm going to share with you five specific ones that I think are really important. The first is probably the hardest. It's the deep end of the pool. So I'm gonna, I'm not doing these in any particular order. I'm going to do them in the order that they came to me. The first and the hardest piece of self-awareness is other people's feedback. Now, I actually recommend that you start with trusted others, people that have your back, people that like you, people that respect you, because when you start asking them for feedback on who you are and how you're behaving to gain access to self-awareness in your blind spots, they're going to be gentle. They're going, going to be kind. Don't do it the way I had to do it. When I started my career back in the late 80s, I had a different story. I started to get feedback. I mean, I'm an engineer, and 
I went through engineering school. I didn't have a whole lot of emotional intelligence at the time. So I'm walking into a role and apparently I was upsetting people, irritating people, just not knowing how to get along and work well with others. So I started to get really harsh, critical feedback. In fact, one of my managers looked at me at one point and said, you don't even want to work here. And I'm like, what the heck are you talking about? I've never said that. And it, the point wasn't the argument that I had with him over that, that feedback. My behavior said I didn't. And I didn't even know. I wasn't aware of it. It got so bad that my wife even once told me, I'm sick of hearing about all this. Deal with it. I felt so alone. And what I had to do was I actually started to reach out to people that looked like they knew what was going on. And I went to the administrative assistants in the organization I worked in because I knew that they were more socially attuned, way more than I was, and more than most of the people I was working with. They started by gently giving me feedback and helping me grow to recognize some of the behaviors that I was doing and what they meant. So asking for feedback is arguably the most powerful way to gain self-awareness. The challenge with feedback, though, is what if the other person's just dead wrong? Well, um, they might be, but chances are if you ask the right person and they're, they're, they're looking out for you, they want the best for you, you need to give it very serious consideration. So when someone, if you ask somebody for feedback and they give it to you, never, never argue with what they're saying. Thank them, say you'll consider it, you're gonna take it in and try and understand their feedback and then apply it as you can. So this is one of the most powerful ways that you can build your own self-awareness. And I'm not talking about feedback from your boss. I'm not talking about that kind of feedback. I'm talking about feedback that you go seek, not feedback that's given to you as a matter of course or a matter of process. That feedback is going to be tainted by factors that relate directly to the organization's needs and and systems. You want feedback that's unencumbered and unchanged by anything other than the person's perspective and opinion. So number one way to grow self-awareness is seek out feedback. Start with trusted others and then eventually move beyond the trusted others to all others in a very methodical and deliberate way so that you can start to grow your understanding of how you are viewed by others and you can look and compare it to what's going on inside of you in those moments so that you can start to, to bring some, some sense of continuity between how you're perceived and how you see yourself. That's really the goal of feedback is continuity and the sense of connection between how you see yourself and how others see you. All right. The second technique relates to inventories. And there's really two areas that we need to think about here. There are inventories of skills and talents and experience, and then there are inventories of opportunities and weaknesses. So let's, let's deal with skills, talents, and experience first. We should really separate skill from talent. A talent is something inherent within you. It's, it's kind of genetic, like you won the genetic lottery. Like Michael Jordan was genetically gifted to be a great basketball player. Wayne Gretzky, a great hockey player, that's what a talent is. It's not something that you're going to be able to break down, take apart, and understand at a deep kind of granular level because it's just effortless and it's done without a great deal of thought. Skills, on the other hand, are different. We think about skills, 
we, we can learn how to do something step by step. And by getting the step by step nature of a skill, we can then relate to others how we learned it. And if we can do that, then we can expand our skill base. We can help others expand theirs. So what, and then experience obviously is the output of talent and skill. Like what have you experienced and how did it go? So what I want you to think about in terms of an inventory is taking the time to actually stop and ask yourself, where are my talents? Where are my skills? And I'll tell you what, in my first book, The First Questions, it's a leadership coaching book, I went into this and tried to outline some skill areas. And if you want to see a copy of that book, I'd, I'd love for you to be able to see it. I can give you a discount code so that you can get the PDF version of it or the the Kindle version of it for free. So let me know. Reach out to me, Ron H at developingleadersinc.com, and I'll I'll set you up with that. Okay. So I want you though to take the time to inventory your skills and your talents so that you know what you're good at. Likewise, I also want you to inventory your opportunities and weaknesses. Where are those things that you're doing or that you're spending time on that just suck the lifeblood out of you, that you tend to make mistakes whenever you get into it? It's hard to get into a sense of flow. So identify those things as well. And then here's what I want you to do. Let's go back to the talent and skills. I want you to reflect on your skills. And I'm going to teach you a reflection model in a little bit. So we're going to dig in and learn how you learn something about how you learned it and how you can apply it in the future. When it comes to talent, I want you to take the time to express gratitude. Gratitude to, you know, however you see yourself and and coming into this world. Give thanks for the talents that you've been given. Then on the weakness side, I want you to do something else. Anywhere you have a weakness that is critical to your success in your current role, I want you to work just hard enough to get mediocre. Mediocre, average, because if you can get to average on the things that you suck at and get and then focus the rest of your creative and developmental energy on getting even better at the things that you're really good at, you can be a rock star in your current role. But We need to make sure that our weaknesses, our opportunities are not liabilities. And the best way to do that is invest enough energy to get mediocre. Let's keep going. The third area for growing self-awareness is that of assessments. There are two recommendations that I have here that I really love. The first is the DISC personality profile system. It comes from William Marston from the early part of the 20th century. And it's really a great way so that you can understand your tendencies in how you interact with the world, the behavioral way that you you engage others, the communication patterns you follow, the word choices you, you use, all of that can be related back to certain personality characteristics that are captured in the DISC model. And once you learn about yourself, you begin to learn how you present yourself to others. You can then also learn about how others are presenting to you and how others are affected by how you present yourself to them. And that's really the key because there's always this dance between two people in communication. You behave in a certain way that impacts the other And that impact creates a certain pattern of of behavior that they will then project toward you and vice versa. So understanding your personality profile and that of the other person and then learning how those tendencies interplay will give you a tremendous increase in your ability to understand who you are and how you 
go through the world. And that really, again, is a key part of self-awareness. I also recommend the Myers-Briggs personality profile or MBTI. This will take a deeper dive into your personality. It looks at how you gain energy, how you collect data, how you make decisions, how you organize your life. And I think that this is a really powerful inventory for you to understand you and others. The challenge with this one is it's way more complicated than DISC and takes a while to master. Once you've got it mastered, it really helps you make sense of the world around you and sense of yourself. But it is complicated, so I will say that. There are many other inventories that are specific to certain situations. There's one for teamwork. There's one for conflict. There's all kinds of them for, for communication. There are all kinds of assessments. The one thing I want you to get, though, the thing about any assessment is, is it is a snapshot in time. It's who you are when you took it. It's who you are based on how you interacted with the survey or the assessment. So I think we need to be a little bit cautious with these assessments because some of us like to use them as labels. Oh, he's a D. Oh, they're an I. Oh, he's an ENTJ, right? But the point that you need to understand, these are tools for helping you understand who you are and how you interact with the world. They're not intended to be labels and any effort to use an assessment as a label of another human being. Um, let me make this really clear. A label is a way of objectifying another person. If you take another human being and turn them into an object, you then dehumanize them. And that is the path to conflict. It is the path to all of the, the wrongs that can occur in a leadership or a, a community practice. So be really careful. We don't want to label. We want to understand. We're building bridges, not walls. Okay, so be really careful of assessments. They're snapshots in time. They're reasonably enduring. In other words, that they, they may be valid for a certain portion of your life, but they are by no means fixed. They are not a label that you can apply. They should never be viewed as a permanent condition. All right, so we've got the first three. We talked about feedback. We talked about doing a self-inventory of your skills, talents, and opportunities. We talked about doing some assessments so you can understand your personality and how it interacts with the world. The fourth area is that of mindfulness or mindful meditation. And I know some of you out there are thinking, mindfulness, meditation, what the heck are you talking about? I thought you were an operations guy. I am. I have learned about the power of my mind. And one of the things that I find incredibly important is to be in control of my mind. When I'm not in control of it, what happens? We got these little thoughts jumping around in my mind, just randomly going crazy. It's in one book that, one leadership book I read, it calls it monkey mind or these mischievous monkeys jumping from tree to tree and they're distracting your focus. If you want one incredibly practical benefit for practicing a form of meditation. It is this. You gain the ability to increase your mental focus. And if that isn't a benefit worth having, I don't know what is. That is the most practical thing I can tell you. So my recommendation to move into this space of mindful meditation is just to set a timer for five minutes. Sit in early in the morning after you're wide awake, maybe get a coffee or something. But Sit in a chair, set a timer for five minutes, clear your mind completely, then start deep, cleansing, easy breaths. 
Just breathe in, breathe out. And what I want you to focus on, focus on the breath. This is really cool way that I like to think about breathing. It's if you've ever been to the, the Pacific Ocean or the Atlantic Ocean and you just pay attention to the, the way that waves come in and then go out. They push in and then they suck back out. And it's a lot like a breath. You can feel the inhale as the wave comes in and then it peaks and then it slowly pushes back out. Just pay attention to the, the points where the, the wave stops and goes back out. And then it stops and it comes back in. And when you start to focus on that, what you're going to find is that you will start to gain the, the discipline of controlling your mind. You can quiet your mind. Now, the first hundred times you do this, you're probably going to encounter monkey mind. And these mischievous little monkeys jumping from tree to tree. Oh my gosh, I got to do this today. Oh my gosh, I got to do that today. I want you to imagine that that little monkey, I want you to grab it by its little scruff of the neck and I want you to pick it up to put it on a shelf on the far side of the room. You don't get up, you don't get out of your chair, just metaphorically, you're picking up the monkey, putting it back on a shelf away from your focus, and then you're going to return to your breath. Breath in and breath out. And what I recommend is that you do it for five minutes until you can get to a point where you can clear your mind of all the monkey mind stuff, all those random thoughts. Spend five minutes in quiet. It's such a powerful thing when you can get there. And what I like to do when I can get to five minutes is I've actually increased my practice to go to 10 minutes now. So I set a 10-minute timer most mornings when I have, have the time to do it. And occasionally, I will add a big question. What's the most important thing I need to do today? What is the strategy of my company and where do I need to take it this quarter? I like to add a big question and then allow myself to get into that quiet space, ask the question, and see what comes forth. I have never gotten such clarity, such wise and, and actionable answers as when I meditate and then ask the question. This is the real benefit. Your focus will become crystal clear, and you can focus your mental power on a single question with no distraction. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is worth having. The final topic, so we, we've covered four now. We've covered the feedback. We've covered talent, skills, and opportunities. We've covered taking assessments. We've covered mindful meditation. Now I want to talk about reflection. And I talked a little bit about this in the in the skills topic on this, the second point. I want you to really up your game in reflection, reflective thinking. This is a skill that will serve you incredibly well. And this is a really incredibly practical way of making sure that every experience that you have, you learn from and you get better based on. And the more you practice the model I'm about to teach you, the more effective you will become because you will become literally a learning machine. The model that I want to teach you, it starts with considering a past experience. It could have happened yesterday. It could have happened last week. It could have happened last month, last year. It doesn't matter. Just think of an incident, some incident that's important to you in some way, and bring it to mind. If you really want to amp this up, you can do this in a meditation state, but not absolutely necessary. So the model follows three core steps. 
It's the first step is what, the second step is so what, the third step is now what. And you, those of you that have been listening to the cast for a while, you know that I've mentioned this before. In the what step, we want to come up with an absolutely objective statement of what happened. The minute you inject blame into it, the minute you inject any kind of language that takes responsibility away from you and points towards someone else, you're no longer objective, you're subjective. An objective statement. Imagine you're a scientist viewing your experience through a microscope. How would you describe it? You're not emotionally invested in it, so you're just going to describe what you can see, what you can hear. So the what step is an objective statement of what actually happened. Then we move into the so what step. The so what step is about questions. So what, and literally, so what, who cares, right? That's really what this is meant to evoke, is, is, the, is to provoke you into thinking about the meaning of the experience. So that's the first question. What does the experience mean to you? What's your initial answer to that? What does it mean? And then I want you to dig deeper. I want you to ask yourself, what caused the situation? And here's a little little warning bell. Don't point at anyone else. Look at what your role was in the experience. What did you do to contribute to it? I'm not saying that you had an active role. It could be a passive role, but focus on you. This is about your learning, not about projecting blame onto anyone else. So what was the cause? You might even ask, when was the first time I felt this way? What what triggered me to behave in the way that I did? You've got to keep this in the the area of self-focus. It doesn't work when you start blaming others. So I really want to reiterate that. When you get to the cause, you're now ready to start to think about now what? Or the third step, now what? What can you do differently in the future? What did you learn from it that you want to apply? Before you do that, however, if the experience that you're talking about is traumatic in any way, if, the, if, it, if it's got negative emotions attached to it, like shame or embarrassment or, or anything like that, regrets, anything like that, what I want you to do is take the time to forgive yourself. Only if it's necessary, of course, but forgive yourself for the way you behaved. Because we don't want to live in a place of unforgiveness. It's just an unhealthy place to be. Then I want you to get something. This is something I learned from a great book by David Allen, Getting Things Done. He talked about this idea that our brain um, doesn't just accept when we, oh, I forgive you, Ron. It's not just going to accept that. It's going to go, you're going to do it again. It's, this inner dialogue is going to kick in. So here's what I really want you to do. I want you to identify one or two actions that you can take the next time you face a similar scenario or circumstance, and then ask yourself, do you, do you make a commitment to follow through on these two things? Yes, I do. Okay, then I forgive you. And now your mind will not have an argument with you. So really a kind of a cool little way to deal with that, that inner critic. So identify one or two actions that you will take next time. And notice, you will take next time, not I might, not I want to not I could, right? You will do these things. Okay. Now there's there's another layer of depth in this model that I really want to open you up to. The first few times you do it, it's entirely possible that you're going to be operating at a crude level, like just a basic level. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's It works. But the crude level that I often observe when people follow this model at first is if this happens, do that. So if this, then that. 
And it becomes this, this recipe-like way of coping with reality. If you find yourself doing that, if this happens, I need to do that. What I want you to do is go back to the so wet step and dig into the cause and effect again. In fact, I want you to dig deeper. And why did this happen? Because of this. And why did that happen? Because of that. And why did that happen? Dig until you get to the root. Dig until you get to the first time that you behaved that way and can remember the circumstances of what caused it. If you can get there, you are in the process of mastering cause and effect. And if you get to the root of it and you forgive yourself for the root, then this whole pattern doesn't have to reoccur anymore. So this process, what, so what, now what, can be applied to any experience that you have. It can be superficial. It can be incredibly deep. It can be in your personal relationships and your business relationships, in your personal career, whatever. It can, it applies in every aspect of your life. And I highly recommend that you practice it. And that is our who does what by when in this cast. I want you to practice this reflective model. I want you to practice mindful meditation. I want you to practice doing an inventory of your skills, talents, and opportunities. I want you to practice getting a DISC assessment or some kind of personality assessment. I want you to practice asking a trusted colleague for feedback on your behavior. Put these things to work and start building your self-awareness. Start building a more complete and cohesive picture of who you are. Now, to end this call, there's a couple of things that I want to offer you. I already offered you a, a discount code to get a, a copy of my first book, The First Questions. But monkey mind. If you reach out to me, ronh at developingleadersinc.com, I'm going to mail you a little tiny monkey. It's about a half an inch tall to set on your desk. To set, You can put it on the mirror in your bathroom if you want. You can set it beside where you meditate. You can set it in the middle of your desk, in the middle of your computer, wherever it is. I would love to send you a cute little monkey to remind you of how monkey mind steals your focus and how we can just, through meditating on our breath, we can gain our focus back and become incredibly powerful. I also want to invite you to join the LinkedIn group called Mentoring Leaders and post one of your reflections if it's not too personal. Love to hear from you. Love to interact with you there. And as always, if you're facing something that you, you need my support on, some strategy issue, some leadership issue in your company, reach out to me. Let's set up a strategy call. And together, we'll put together a strategy on how you can overcome the challenge you're facing. That's all for now. We'll see you on the next cast. All right, everyone. Now you have your action items. I'm excited to hear from you on how what you learned today works for you. Be sure to connect with me at www.developingleadersinc.com and brief us on how the action items work for you. If you need immediate support, schedule a strategy call with me and let's build a plan together on how to get you the results you need. Thanks for listening, everyone. Until next episode, get out there and lead your business.